Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Able, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is a rebroadcast of my appearance on Life Coach Nicole Baker's Imperfect Success podcast, discussing one of my favorite topics, stop shooting yourself, because the shoulds are perfectionism adjacent. The shoulds are a list of false rules we tell ourselves that feed our narrative that ultimately hold us back. Like, I should be richer, thinner, more successful, etc., etc., etc. The shoulds are one of the ways we live out perfectionism and they get in everyone's way, at least some of the time. My shoulds are often a loud discussion inside my head and I finally learned to turn down the volume. Welcome, Barbara, to the Imperfect Success Podcast. I am so happy you're here today. You have no idea how happy I am. I'm First of all, I'm really, really flattered and honored to be invited. And always, a conversation with you is is it's energizing. Well, it any, honestly, having me on your show, I had such a freaking blast. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. But I want to start off with the all-knowing question, which is who are you and what do you do? Basically, tell everyone how much of a fucking badass you are. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I'm actually... Um, you know, quite a bit of an introvert. So to actually stand up on, you know, virtually on your podcast and say, I'm a badass is its own badass act. So um, thank you. So, you know, professionally, I would say what I really do is I'm a multimedia coach and creative advisor. And functionally, what I do is I help people of impact make an impact or make a bigger impact. That is, you know, where I fit into the story. I always say when I do what I do well, I help my clients do what they do better and then they can go out and change the world. Mm. Oh my gosh. So I'm, I'm just, I'm part of that process. I help people believe in themselves. Um, one of my gifts is, um, and it's also part of my career as a casting director is I just, I see the awesome in you often before you see the awesome in you or the ability to tap into the awesome in you in ways that you hadn't considered before. If that's not your guys' slogan, <laughs> that needs to be. That's <laughs> so freaking good. So in your journey to having the freaking list of credentials that you do, I always like to ask people, what were some of the imperfect moments along the way? You know, we hear so often the like um, overnight success stories, quote unquote, and that can really mess with our perfectionist heads, right? We think that if I'm not making mega progress on the first go, then I'm a failure. So I always love peeling apart the backstory. What were some moments where it was almost like throwing your hands up in the wall and saying, oh my gosh, is my dream ever going to come true? Nicole, this could be an entire season of your podcast talking (laughs) about all my imperfect moments on the journey to my current imperfect self. Um, but part of it begins with two. It's like, I, because I'm the last of the generation of, of women where uh, having a career was not the, always the expectation. I was raised when women were still, you know, our number one goal and expectation was to marry ha- and have kids and make a home. So one of the reasons I mentioned that is because you do grow up and you have goals and dreams. And I, you know, I remember in fifth grade making, doing some project and my dream was to win an Academy Award and to be the first woman president. And then of course, you know, I'm like 10 or 11 then. And so with the years, you know, adding those years on that, you know, my dream is being squelched by people telling me, you know, don't dream that. I can get really honest. I mean, I remember being, um, 
high school, going to a father-daughter thingamabob with my dad. And um, I guess a well-meaning dad asked me about where I wanted to go to college. And I was growing up in California. And I said I wanted to go back east because that seemed very exciting and glamorous to me mm-hmm. to come to an East Coast, you know, liberal arts college. And um, he said, why do you want to spend the rest of your life on the East Coast? I was like, you know, what do you mean? He goes, because you're going mar- you're gonna to meet your husband and you're going to live where he lives and where his job is. And um, that was the expectation. So I just like to really, really be clear. And so then it's, you know, you graduate from college and it's a little bit confusing uh, because there are these dualities about that. It's like, who am I? Where do I go? So I, I was kind of not starting from a very strong place. But I knew, like so many people with a dream, um, I wanted, you know, a more exciting, glamorous life than I had, it, you know, growing up in the suburbs, which in hindsight were really nice and great. And I grew up in a very safe area and a tremendous amount of privilege around that and to be able to ride my bike and not worry and all those things. Um, but, you know, when, but when you're that kid, um, you know, in that Super 8 movie, you, I was dreaming of, you know, glamour and excitement, whether that was New York City or Hollywood or whatever it was. So fast forward, I, I somehow propelled myself into the music business. What do you, well, can you, can you talk that out a little? How did you somehow? <laughs> um, so I started, I created a fanzine with friends of mine about the Los Angeles music scene, which we had no idea what we were doing. We just did it. And Wait, that was, fa- a, is fanzine like a fan magazine? Exactly. Thank you. I, I just like, like I could feel my cogs whirling in my head. I was like, okay, you can do this, Nicole. Amazing. <laughs> and so that gave us entree. And by the way, it was such a DIY culture. It'd be no different than like podcasting or a lot of other things where it's like you make it and then you tell people you've made it. And it gave us a reason, you know, to go interview people, which I discovered I loved and going to gigs. And I told you this go on forever. So that leads to me doing college radio. I became the music director of my college radio station. I did tons of interviews on my college radio show, loved it, which is, you know, there's a through line from that to my doing my own podcast and loving the interview process. Um, Being a cast director is a lot about the interview process because you're interviewing people and and talent and getting the best out of them finding stories uh working in documentaries for decades and that's so about about finding the story and creating trust with people so that they can share their story so um i did that that led to internships i was the first uh, college intern at virgin records in the uk during its, you know, incredible peak, I used to make tea for Richard Branson when he would come into the office. It was super exciting. He liked a relatively weak cup of tea with a lot of milk in it. Whereas Simon Draper, his cousin, who was the managing director, he liked double strength tea with a little bit of milk. <laughs> I love um, how that just still lives rent free in your brain. <laughs> oh my God. My nickname amazing. was double tea with, which was Simon's order. And it was just a magical time. So I did all that. And, um, and then, you know, I get a job in music management for a very, very powerful company. And this is, you know, not to get too heavy, but this this is a story that's not surprising to people when, you know, you read the paper. First of all, um, all the executives were men. All the assistants were women. There was almost no way to get from one side of the desk to the other side of the desk. It was a very intense, verbally abusive, you know, sexually harassing environment. Um, but it was my dream to work in that business. And so, but I didn't really have a plan. I mean, this is where we get into, there wasn't mentorship, you know, in those days, there weren't guidebooks. There was like a, um, maybe an implied thing that you will do this until you get married or wise up or what have you. 
So I didn't know. So there's a bunch of stuff that happens. It's like, you know, the career thing's not happening. I worked at a talent agency, which where I learned a ton, but kind of got, you know, stuck. There was an advancement. My heart was broken. I was stuck in my career. So I upped and moved to New York because I understood in some ways of, um, and this is sort of perfectionism adjacent. It was just, I knew things weren't working and I somehow understood that change and doing something different truly based on instinct and then and then also very values based was a movement forward Mm. right yes right that's forward movement I'm getting myself out of where I am and even if I'm doing the same thing there the act of movement is enough change to make it worthwhile and what am I learning from this and it was almost like from the minute I got off that plane in New York everything changed and suddenly, the, what I brought to the party was considered valuable here. And that's where then looking back in hindsight, many years later, I realized, like, I love music to this day, it feeds my soul, but I didn't really have any business in the music business, because my strengths were not what was needed in the music business, which is really you're either performing, or you're really marketing and selling. Mm. I don't do either of those. Yeah. I'm a storyteller so, and a coach. Well, and I, I want to go mm-hmm. back to the storytelling element of it because you mentioned that when, you know, you're sitting here as a casting director, you're interviewing people. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you look for on that end of the table? Because we have so many performers who listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Um, what are some things you look for that you're like, that's a person I want to work with or, oh, that's a big red flag? Mm. So I work primarily in the unscripted space. So there are a lot of similarities, but just to be clear about that. So one of the things in a big way, A, we're looking, you know, you know, the energy that you bring, right? And so how how do you make the room feel? Because in in the world that I inhabit, it's personality driven. You know, do you are you do you light up the room? Are you captivating and whatever that means so that um, you know, you're gonna bring eyeballs because that's what we need right? We're actually also looking in addition to skills, because I teach skills. That's how I got into what I do, right? Is I would find people and then sometimes it'd be like, now can you train them? Because you're looking for the ineffable. And once you find that, it's like, I can teach you to read a teleprompter. um, But with that, we also look for emotional maturity or bandwidth, because the world um, is way more risk averse and the budgets are much, much higher. And just to pause for a sec, it was interesting. There's a current documentary on Apple Plus about the supermodels and talking about Cindy Crawford at MTV. And it's like, you know, she's an amazing model with absolutely no on camera skills. And they were just like, we just, you know, you'd be great. Let's throw you on TV, which was awesome. And that was the MTV way and MTV and VH1, where I spent a decade, completely changed the culture and how we communicate. And it's all really valuable. But I bring that up because, you know, Cindy was doing House of Style in the early 1990s. Hmm. Now we're, you know, 30 years later, we don't take those kinds of risks anymore. Ooh, can you talk that? Can you give an example? Like what, what do, what would we have done in the 1990s that like absolutely wouldn't touch with a 15 foot pole now? Oh my gosh. Well, so in the MTV thing, one was just taking somebody like Cindy Crawford and just like putting her on camera without any training, just go like, just being like, you go do you. Yeah, that would have that would have been fine. Um, Right. Because and then and then we just created shows and you would just throw stuff up there. And it was okay. It was um, and for me, it was such a phenomenal training ground because I, I got to cast once I was running that department. I mean, we did so much. We tried stuff. We just had so much more room to risk and experiment and go do things as long as you could do it inexpensively and like make a budget work. It was like you've got free reign. 
So why why don't I'm sorry, I'm kind of pivoting the question because I'm yeah. I'm so genuinely curious. Why don't we take those risks anymore? And this actually lines perfectly with what we're talking about today, which was the shoulds. But like why don't we take those risks anymore, mm. especially in this like area of media? Okay. That is such the right question to ask. So the one hand, there's us taking personal risks. Mm right? And personal creative risks. So that would be important. It's just, you know, I took my own risk in stepping out from behind the camera and, and having a podcast and starting to create video content, et cetera, to grow my business, to grow my brand, brand, to make more of an impact with the people I'm trying to reach. So that's a personal creative risk and you think it through, but, and right. And you and I both know you don't have to release the first thing that you do, you know, think it through, have a concept, practice, rehearse, tap into all of that stuff that we know how So there's that. But on a business level, that that's becomes like a, you know, such a, a much bigger conversation about how the business, how industry works for one. So now we have all this consolidation. So when I, you know, was working at um, MTV Networks, it was still technically a startup, even though we didn't call it a startup. And all the attention wasn't there, right? Um, it was still, you know, cable was still kind of nascent and, um and there was just a lot more uh, money in some ways in the economy. Now we live in a world where um, everybody's in everybody in terms of media, there's so much debt now because everybody had to invest in streaming, which is mm -hmm. not, doesn't generate the income that maybe one day it will um, consolidation. Almost everything is owned by private equity. Mm -hmm. um, and so the uh, lot more risk averse and there's all this pressure to produce results right? In terms of return on investment. So that's, I mean, so I'm just really oversimplifying the business conversation. No, I appreciate it. Thank but, you. The, but the point is that it's, um, we are way more risk averse and it costs more to put out stuff there. Way, everything is way more competitive. It's much harder to get eyeballs, mm -hmm. right? Because, um, you know, so in the MTV days, which is like kind of the last era, and it really is a line in the sand about how old somebody is. It's like, you know, if you were, if you're a late Gen X, early Gen X or whatever, or uh, older millennial, you know, you remember coming home and watching TRL and everybody shared that experience. Yeah. Then, you know, digital killed the radio star. I mean, killed the video star, right? Because then the digital revolution happens, which is so important and a gift on so many ways. And you and I wouldn't be talking if that hadn't happened. True. But now that becomes like, the, so to me, it's the most incredible moment in history because now there's no barrier to entry and we can all create and put our, um, our content and our work out there. But what happens is then the audience scatters. Oh, yes. Interesting. Well, and here's something I see a lot with people I work with or talk to who want to be in some way want to be in some way a, a a face or a name, whether that's they want to be a TikTok influencer, they want to be a Broadway star, they want to be in Hollywood as like an HBO drama lead or stuff like that. They feel like no matter what they do, they have to do it perfectly. Mm. And it's like, if I'm going to put my first TikTok out there, it has to be the best TikTok in the entire world or else no one's going to care. And the the annoying thing is yes we do have a demand for perfection and on, on the first try and it it deeply saddens me but i also how do we get to perceived perfection no one's fucking perfect but like how do we get to the level that like for instance i think of like elise meyer she's a huge name on the in the social media space if you go way 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 back to her first videos it looks nothing like her current ones but she had to 
put those out in order to get here. So I'd love to hear what are your thoughts on that stress and that pressure that people put on themselves to be at a certain level on the first try? Wow. Okay. There's so much going on there. So one, I want to quote a certain Nicole Baker back to Nicole Baker about there's no getting to 100 without taking steps one to 99. And I think that is such an important place to begin in this conversation because, and by the way, I totally understand the pressure because I've been on both sides of this, but, um, but so when you feel like I can't put it out until it's at the level of X, Y, Z, that's a whole other, like, that's when I get into the, like the life and executive coaching and the life coaching that you do miss, yeah. you know, Ms. Life Coach Baker over there, because it's like, well, what does that even mean to you? What does that look like to you? Uh, what wound are we addressing here that you feel that enormous pressure? <laughs> that, Preach that, it, girl. Yes. Right? Because um, that is not at all audience facing at all. That's totally looking inward. You're not thinking about like the impact and you're not imagining or visioning somebody watching your TikTok video and feeling joy or learning something or having their day made. You're thinking about like, I made that video and that you're turning the spotlight completely back on yourself. So that's okay. And I say that without judgment, but I mean, like that is a lot to unpack in itself. Mm. The other thing too, though, is it's a fair point too, though. It's like when we talk about people who are massively successful now, it's like, you know, but we have to start from today. And so uh, you have to look at like, what are the standards now? So when we're talking about perfect, are we talking about professionalism? Like, you know, and and meeting the standards, right? And what does that look like? And how hard is that? Right? Yes. I'm like over here like, (laughs) oh my God. Yes. It's so real. Oh, keep going. You're nailing it. Uh, oh gosh, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. But, um, but, and also like, what's the value of that? Like, that's important because I want to set a standard, but it's never been easier to make quality product, right? The equipment's, you know, simpler, less expensive. You know, we all walk around with one of the most advanced cameras of all time in our hands all day long. So that's amazing. Um, but I even go back to, I studied film in college. And so I was film studies, which is really the history and aesthetics of film. So it's film as art history, but I still had to make some movies and, um, I might not have been the greatest, uh, director editor of all time. And, um, but so I remember one film, the professor said to me, um, you know, it was a little bit sloppy in its, um, editing and some of its aspects, but it was funny. And, and everybody in the class laughed. Like I got, you know, people applauded and he said, listen, nobody ever walked out of a movie because of bad editing. Ooh, interesting. And so he was basically, yeah, he was saying, you know, it's like, so it's like, it's not saying you want to go be a sloppy movie maker, but he was like, it's better to have, I entertained the audience. They loved it. They wanted more than um, if it had been quote unquote perfect and a snooze. Mm. which is so much about the work that I do with my clients on the communication side and however that shows up because our focusing on perfect and the shoulds, right, is um, it's its own kind of safety net and it's a comfort zone for ourselves, but it's a comfort zone that keeps us trapped because it's really not a safe place. I want to talk about these shoulds. First and foremost, like when you say shoulds, how do you define that or what world does that live in for you? Because I want to make sure everyone's on the same page before I dive into this topic with you, girl. (laughs) Well, one of the reasons I feel like we're so simpatico and when I, you know, we 
connected is because to me, the shoulds are perfectionism adjacent. It's a manifestation of perfectionism. It's one of the ways we act out our perfectionism. So the shoulds to me are a trap. And I caught myself in the shoulds so much of my life, right? It's like, you should, you know, you should do this by this age. I mean, you kind of tapped into it earlier. It's like, if I haven't achieved this by this time, I should have been a mogul. I should have an Academy Award. I should have split an atom already. I should, 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 should. I should be thinner. I should be richer. I should be more cool. I I should, 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 should. And so should is, um, you know, there's a lot of guilt and shame attached to should. And there's a big threat implied in the word should because you, I, sh- and usually it's us talking to ourselves. I mean, we can should other people and we do all the time, but it's another, so much of the shoulds is internal dialogue. And it's like, I should do this because if I don't, and there's some implied bad thing going to happen. What's your common shoulds that you, you deal with still? Oh, wow. That's a great. I'm sorry, I'm really hitting you heavy with these questions. Um, Wow. I have to sit and think about that for a sec because okay. I've worked on this for so long. But I mean, it's funny how it, it shows up. So one, you know, it's just, the, oh, you know, to be fair, one that always comes up on it every day is like, I should be doing this for my business. Like I should be chasing that the shiny object, right? So we all get stuck in those shoulds. And, um, and this is, I guess I could pause and talk about like how we reframe because you have to teach yourself to kind of Byron Katie your way through it and go, is that true? What's another <laughs> way I can look at this? What are my options? Because it's like, because some people say to you all the time, like, you should be on TikTok. You should have a podcast. You should take this class. You should sign up for this thing. You should have 100,000 followers by now. What, those are all shoulds that um, keep us trapped. And, and we hear it and we're like, they're right. Mm-hmm. They're right. And it's so, um, so the, I just think that's all over the place. Um, people are like, you should go in and ask for a raise. I'm like, okay, maybe, but it's like, I don't know how to do that. Or I don't know if the timing's right. I mean, there's so many other things and some, so sometimes shoulds can, you know, masquerade as well-intentioned, but I, I just think it's such a heavy thing. And, and honestly, Louise Hay in, in her first book was like, it should be banished. That's a should. We should, we should banish the shoulds. But also, I mean, so there are things I loved is like, you know, exceptional shoulds. Like, you know, um, you should care about the environment. You should take care of your health. You know, there are some, you know, you should be kind and, you know, live the golden rule. There are lots of, you know, legitimate shoulds, but it's when you stop and ask yourself is, is when I'm saying should, what am I really saying? And a healthy reframe would be to say, I want or I choose. Ooh, I've heard I want, I love, I choose. Mm. And I feel like especially because I've I've done this exercise with people where, for instance, I see this a lot when people are wanting to start businesses, you know, like the algorithm listens to us and they start showing us ads of like, here's how you build a business in 30 days. And it's like, here's how you make $100,000 because you should be making $100,000 in your first six week of opening up a business, which I think is absolute crap to begin with. Those are unicorn stories. That's great. But a lot of them takes really hard blood, sweat and tears at the beginning. And it's not Skips six weeks. one to 99 as Nicole oh Baker taught me. <laughs> yes. But when people come to me and they're, I feel like I should be, they're saying I should, I feel like I should be doing more. I feel like I should be further ahead. I feel like I should be making X amount of money. Da, 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 da. I normally say to them something along the lines of, do you want that? Thank you. And then they a go, thousand percent. Oh, I like, and it's, it's asking them, do you want that? And do you want all the 
stuff that's going to come along with it. For instance, someone, I was literally just having this conversation. They said, I feel like I should be posting five times a day on TikTok. And I was like, holy hell, we need to have a conversation. And I, I asked them, I was like, do you want what goes along with that? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, well, that's, you know, filming five videos a day, seven days a week. That's editing those videos. That's writing captions. That's searching for hashtags. That's engaging with your followers and your account and your comments and everything that goes along with it. Do you want that? And they took a moment and they're like, I don't know where I'd fit that in. And I was like, yeah, I don't know where you would either. So do you want that? And they said, absolutely not. And we were like, what if you posted once a day, three times a week? Like, what would that look like? And they're like, that's probably a lot more manageable. And I'm like, yeah, we don't have to burn ourselves out in order to feel like, oh, I did a good job. You know, I see that a lot with the show. A thousand percent. And that really tapped into capacity. It also tapped into something else that I've actually experienced. Um, You know, it, and this is where it's like well-meaning shoulds. Um, intersecting with the wants, but I've gone to like vision board workshops, which I love, like I could vision board forever. And, um, but you know, sometimes people will be like, you know, oh no, you should have a private plane on there. That's the one that comes up a lot. Like you should use a private plane because that's indicative of like, you know, how big you're dreaming. And I had to finally step back because, you know, pleaser and nice girl that I am from the suburbs, I didn't want to contradict the person leading the workshop. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll put a private plane. And it's like private plane, nice, but you know what? It doesn't feed my soul. That's not my should. Mm-hmm. That did, I was like, you know what? If, I don't know. I could be on a crowded bus with goats and chickens if that's the best way to get to that, you know, remote mountain thing that I, you know, I'd rather get to that place in Bali. However, I get there, the private, it's not about the private plane for me. It's not to say that it's not for someone else, but I meant like, that's an example where we get kind of, um, you know, ushered or railroaded into some collective should thinking or about what should matter to us, because that's what even happened. That's a version of that with a person with, you know, you should be posting five TikTok videos a day. It's like, do you even have the capacity for that? And then also, you know, that's the point. It's like, the other question there is like, do you enjoy making videos? Yeah. Yeah. And will you still enjoy it after five a day, seven days a week? Oh, that's so good. So I'm curious for you, how do you take your shoulds and turn them into wants? Like even if it's totally changing the the final part of that sentence. Like if I'm saying I should um the what's a what's a should you hear a lot in your in your with your clients? I'm curious. Oh my so gosh. Fair. So a big should would be or the understanding is like I should uh do a a perfect video, or I should do a perfect segment. I should do uh, a you know a perfect TED talk, oh. keynote, what have you. <laughs> so so right there, just we just so you know same thing again. Going honoring people who are listening. I should I should I should do a perfect audition. Mm-hmm. I want I really want this gig, so I I should or I have to. I got to be perfect. So how okay. do you do the mindset shift with that? Well, one, it's like, okay, really? Okay, so in this case, it's so subjective. But first we start with definitions. So please define for me what the perfect audition is for you. What, so what's happening that makes it perfect? Um, and a lot of the stuff you know, that I work with clients, because it gets into right away about getting the words right. That's where it's starting from. I got all the words right, so it was perfect. And I was like, wow, that's really, really limiting. And 
very, very narrow in scope because I can get all the words right and be flat and boring. So I achieved my goal. Like I I didn't flub is what it's coming up with, right? That I, I got it quote unquote right, or that was perfect because it was. And I, and then, so it's like, well, so that you're not achieving your goal. So now we have to understand it's like, what is the value? What is on the other side? If we're going to get, you know, very literal in the auditions, like, well, what do they need to see? You know, is your version of quote unquote perfect in sync with what their version of perfect is? Ooh, because it's totally out. subjective, right? What are the, what do we need to see? It's like, um, I just, you know, on my podcast just had the most amazing women, Brooke and Mary, who were legends in the commercial acting space in New York. And I mean, like literally everyone who's anyone has taken their course and then they've, they've, you know, cast legendary commercials for 20, 30 years. Right. And so they talked about that because they said, first and foremost, you have to be yourself. Mm. Right. So if you're coming in trying to be what you think is perfect, meaning therefore you haven't brought you to the party. So you could have gotten all the words right or gone through the motions, quote unquote, perfectly, but um, you didn't bring you. So therefore it wasn't perfect. In fact, in their book, that might be a fail, or at least it's not going to get you a call back or, you know, continue the process and you're not going to get the job. And so we can also get into that um, in music, the idea, anything about being technically perfect, but there's no soul missing the element of passion and emotion. Speaking of my musical theater heart right now, absolutely. The amount of times that I would, cause I did a lot of, um, uh, opera and, um, uh, classical music. It was part of my program. It was very, very, you had to marry the two together with pop and classical. And I fucking hated singing classical. I hated it so much. It, sucked my soul away and I sounded like it sucked my soul away I could not have been more dull and boring but technically I sang it perfect but there was zero soul and I had to do a recital that was all classical it was just part of part of the graduation process and it was literally like okay how fast can I get this done how fast can I get this done and the second it was over I was like oh thank god but I, I'm not going to lie for a long time after that recital, I beat myself up into oblivion mm. because it was you, you didn't do it in a way that was interesting and therefore people weren't entertained because I've always been about like, you know, how can I make sure people feel entertained? And it used to be very people pleaser driven. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like, oh my God, people in the audience were bored and therefore you wasted their afternoon. Like it was a mega mental beat down because, even though technically it was quote unquote perfect, it was in my mind, the biggest failure, which sucked, really sucked. That's so painful too, because the binary thing about that, that it's either or. Oh, our perfectionism brain loves the black and white, don't we? (laughs) Right. And I actually want to honor too, anybody who's listening, who's a dancer, because dance is about perfection. Mm. And, um, and the drilling of that for decades and decades and de- decades. And I've worked with many people in fitness who've come from dance and, um, you know, performers and hosts and speakers who've come from dance. And so that's, so I want, first of all, so I get it. Like, you know, there's, I, there's no judgment there. And like, that is what is required. So I think in some ways it's about at the same time, you know, tapping into some kind of joy for yourself 
versus um, dread because it's it, because that is where it's always being looked at is like, are you technically perfect? And if you are part of um, a chorus of dancers or your background dancers or whatever, you're not necessarily you're not supposed to, you know, be so charismatic that you're taking, you know, attention away from the lead. So this is a, you know, can get to be a very nuanced conversation about what that is. And and I know separately you and I have also spoken about because for many people it's the perfectionist streak that gets you to that place. Yeah. I oh oh let's open that up <laughs> conversation because we need to. For perfectionists, you know, a huge thing is if I am not pushing myself to the absolute brink, demanding perfection on myself, um, demanding that high achiever level, then I will never get to the place where I am. First and foremost, the people you've worked with, have you seen that personality trait in them? Oh, all the time. I mean, so one, now we see a spectrum because I have a lot of people, you know, they walk in the door at the beginner level which my dreamers who I love and my role, I feel like it's helped, dream, you know, help dreamers become doers. So they're actually, you know, making and accomplishing on the road to becoming a game changer. But, um, because it's, so if you don't have the drive and the work ethic and the commitment, the steps one to 99 in your DNA, it's not going to happen for you because the world is, you know, too competitive and, and just about anybody can have a video go viral now and have fame for five and a half seconds. So, um, but anything sustainable or to build a career, et cetera, right. It does take drive. Um, so I absolutely see that. And then, um, but, and then a positive thing is I also see, you know, you really see the difference in people who are super accomplished. They're like, no, no, let's do it again. Let's do it again. I mean, it's like, they're, you know, it doesn't matter how successful they are. They understand I have to rehearse or we're going to try this different ways and figure out what is the most impactful way, but they're not stuck in the perfects. Do you know what I mean? They're not yeah. sitting there going, it's like, yeah, but let's look at this. Does this line land better this way or that way? They've started to build criteria to understand why are we working on this? Why are we doing just, you know, one more take? Why are we trying one more thing? It's just like, I feel like incrementally it could just be better and better is defined as like more successful, meaning it's going to, you know, hit land better, reach more people, be more impactful, be funnier, et cetera. I Do think, I'm oh, oh, sorry. Keep, no, keep Well, it, no, keep what going. I was going to say is the big difference in any of this is where is now we get into the intersection of perfectionism, the shoulds and your self-esteem. Right. And so one of my own funny stories, going back to your original question of like how this has showed up in my life is when I was first really starting to understand this about 10 years ago and the intersection with shame and et cetera, was the year so much was going on in business and life and my kids and family. And I didn't get Christmas cards out that year, which is laughable, dun, dun, but, dun. but the <laughs> shame that I felt yeah. that the world was going to see that I didn't have it all together all the time. And so I can laugh about it now, but right. But I had so much hung up in the fact that it's like the idea, because I got so much positive validation. It's like, I can't believe you do all this and you were able to bake cupcakes for the thing at school. I can't believe you do all that. And you like, you still send out printed Christmas cards. You're amazing. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. I find all my value there. And then the year I couldn't. And then I was like, uh, and guess what? Then of course, perfectionist streak, I found a workaround. I was like, oh, you know what? We're going to do happy new year. Mm. How hard did you push yourself to the brink to get those happy new year cards out? Yeah. Well, you know, you had a little window cause there's January and, um, but it was really funny because I just felt so great. Like, oh my God, I solved the problem, but I can laugh at it now. Right. Easily. Cause then I started to understand it's like, no one cared. 
Mm. No one cared but me. That was my own false standard. And it was very liberating to be like, um, yeah, like serious stuff going on. Couldn't do it. These, these things matter more than, um, you know, and showing up for people and being present through important moments in life were much more important than getting the printed Christmas cards out and keeping up the facade of that I somehow had it all together, whatever that means. And I, so I think we all have versions of that in our lives. I was literally just I literally before you and I hopped on, I was on with a client and she's in what we call push periods, which is basically like something's needing a lot more attention and energy from her life right now. And, you know, if we have five categories in our life and one of those categories is demanding 150% from you, what I see a lot of perfectionists do is still demand 100 plus percent from every other area of your life. Yes. So Christmas cards would be a beautiful example here, still demanding 100% to get those Christmas cards out. But when we're in push periods or honestly, even when we're in just like nose to the grind periods, like when I was an actor in Chicago, I was waking up at 4am. I was standing outside for 12 hours. You know, I was, I was not in a normal state of life. And yet I still demanded 100% from every other chapter and every other category. And it made me all, I never could meet 100% because it was impossible. And so it meant I was constantly living in the state of you're not enough here. You're not enough mm-hmm. here. You're not enough here. And just beating myself up to absolute oblivion. And it wasn't until honestly in the last few years that I started researching and figuring out, okay, if I take this down to 60% and this one down to 40%, I mean, I'm in a push period in my life right now. Like I've never been in, in my entire life. And one of those had to go down to zero, absolute zero to the oblivion. And no one died. No one burst into flames. Nothing has fallen apart. Like this area of my business is not dead forever. It's just not, it's just dark now. And dark meaning like it's at 0%. Um, And so I think that it's important to remember like those shoulds I think also can come up in, I should be perfect in all of these areas. And it is literally impossible, literally impossible to demand that level of output from yourself in all those areas, especially like, you know, you're saying like these people who are really hard workers, these people who are very, you know, um, uh, like in, in that area where they need to like get their asses into gear, like thinking like more beginners and getting into doers. I see so many people still try to demand that same level from everywhere else. What do you, what do you, do you see that in, in those beginners as well? It's, you, first of all, that was such a, great story and and so beautifully laid out like that any you know amazing takeaway but you know of course the dialogue in my head was the old me would have been like well you should be able to do this yes exactly because i think that so much of this you should be functioning yeah. at this level mm-hmm. like you have 5 <laughs> minutes you should be pushing harder i see that a lot like if i have a spare 5 minutes or a spare hour or even it's 9 p.m. and i could go to bed or i could push myself to the absolute brink for 30 minutes it's like people will normally choose the latter and it breaks my heart. Yeah. No, a thousand percent, but it's a, that's the should dialogue is alive and well and very loud and amplified in, in the story that you just gave. So, um, you know, it's interesting. So the disconnect for a lot of people who come to me, usually like students or you know, more beginning and dipping their toes. And by the way, this could be anybody in a stage in their career, because often I have people, experts and subjects who are coming, who are very successful in their career, whatever that is. Let's say it could be, you know, uh, real estate or psychology or in the beauty industry, et cetera. Um, and so there is a should attached. Yeah. So some is just, I sh- you know, I should be doing this for my business. 
or I, um, or also just like, I'm successful. So I should be good at this. I'm smart. I should be able to do this. And it's like, well, um, okay. But I meant like, again, let's, you know, reframe the conversation because what does that mean? Are we talking about transferable skills? I mean, I feel like it's all doable and figure outable. Um, yes. But the point is there's often a gap in the beginning idea to the actual execution and the steps required to get there, which would, you know, first of all, the mental heavy lifting that some people don't want to do, which is the creative side or the pre-production side, as I would say, it's like, well, what are you going to talk about? What is this? What does it mean? Who's your audience? You know, all the things like the stages that we break down. And then there is the crafting and the execution of it and the rewriting and the practicing and, and et cetera. So, um, I mean, some people fall by the wayside because they figure out it's like, you know what? I just don't enjoy it. Like, this isn't fun. And then Mm -hmm. it's also fair to be like, I didn't get into my field. Like, I didn't decide to be a brain surgeon because um, I wanted to make TikTok videos. I'm just making that up. But you know what I mean? Like, I do. And that's that's been a a challenge in the digital age for many, many people who, you know, because suddenly this is, it happened to me. It came out of nowhere. It's like, doing your job isn't it enough. Now you have to, like, market it at, at, like, at the nth level. Yes. So uh, that's anxiety inducing for many of us to say the least. So I meant, so like, you know, people drop off in, in that phase. There's a lot of, um, there's also a misconception like this should be easy. Oh, here's one of my favorite shoulds. It's such a misconception. It's like that um, anybody, you know, sort of over 40 is just like, you should be able to hire a 25 year old for no money to do that thing for you. It happens Ooh, all the time. Can you, can you talk that out a little more? I'm oh so my God. There's this sort of blanket idea. I get it. I hear it all the time from people that um, the answer to your digital marketing issues and your social media is the thing that you have not found yet is the right inexpensive 25 year old who apparently can do this in their sleep. Cause there's this whole idea that, you know, and my kids are 26 and 23, right? So it's like, they're digitally native. And and they are, and they're pretty savvy, but there's this yeah. whole idea that just because you know how to use apps and do all this, that's, that you're also really good at social media marketing, which means messaging and executing and targeting audiences and understanding like, well, what should we be budgeting for those ads and how are we going to reach people? There's such a massive disconnect into what is actually required. So one, it's really dismissive as if this, this, this digital thing that causes me anxiety is it's completely mysterious, but for the people who understand it, the 25 year olds, it's just remarkably easy and anybody can do it. Oh, golly. Oh, and so, so that's like a so mangled much. version of the shoulds Yes, and pushing I... perfectionism onto other people. <laughs> okay. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I see, I saw this all the time at my school was them pushing perfectionism onto us. And I think mm. it's why, I mean, I've talked to most of my graduating class and even some, you know, sandwiching my graduating class and every single person walked out of that school with perfectionism. And I don't think that's just unique to my school. I've talked to a lot of other performing arts schools or anyone who, who is in that kind of um, industry in a, in an academic way. And it was constantly told or it was constantly told to us. Well, first of all, we had things like weigh-ins every six weeks where like if you did not meet it, yeah, horrified. They finally got rid of them. I'm so proud of them. 
way too late, but I'm proud they got rid of them. So like, for instance, the, the Monday after Thanksgiving, we'd all go in and get weighed. And like, that was always demanded. Like you need to be at a certain weight and you get weighed when you're going in, like you're 18. So of course that's the number that I have in my head throughout when I'm 22. And I was not the same weight when I was 18 and when I was 22 in the slightest. And that correct weight is based on what information? I mean, the standards, right? (laughs) It was the dancing program. Yeah. Right. No, but I understand. But I meant like, but I meant like that's its own algorithm that is a false construct is what I'm getting at. Precise. Exact. Precisely. And you know, like that, that's only one example. There was also like, you should be practicing X amount of hours. It was always a framed in a should. So it's so always a we're should. Talking about. It's always, always a framed should. as a should. Well, okay. I want to like in our own heads, how do you start catching the shoulds? Because it's so automatic, right? How do you start to open your eyes and start to catch it so that we can rewrite and choose the shoulds and start, or even fr- reframe them to I choose? How do you start oh. catching them? Well, the beginning is honestly making the choice and the self-awareness around that. Because mm-hmm. you start to catch yourself when you become aware of it. And then and you've made the commitment to yourself to sort of break free of it. And, uh, and also realize that the, the breaking free of that and reframing it is becomes the key or a key to um, a more successful, more abundant, you know, healthier life. And so it just begins. It's a, I'm going to say that th- that's the same step for any kind of language around self-talk. Oh, yes. you just, you know, get used to the check-ins and just catch yourself because I love that you asked it. And it's and because I forget that it's a first step. I forget that I had to take this first step, but I've been doing it for so long now that it is second. I mean, I, you know, I'm catching myself all day long going, yeah. you know, in self-judgment about myself or, you know, uh, you know, even like I'll be on the subway because I'm in New York, you know, and I'll, and I'll be like, oh, that wasn't a very kind thought, Barb. That's, you know, everyone's got their struggles today. I don't know what's going on in their life, but see, we can't, you know, so it's accepting that we're all human. You you never completely eliminate the shoulds. You just catch them. Oof. I, I could talk to you forever. I truly could, but I also want to respect your time. I have one more question for you before we get into segments. And that is, we, we talked about this off air before going into this, but your eye for talent. I mean, your bio is so fucking impressive. <laughs> like it is wow, so beautiful. God, thank you. No, I mean it. And something that you mentioned in it is that you gave early breaks to people like, you know, Amy <laughs> Schumer to Christy Teigen, Wayne Brady, who I grew up watching whose line mm. is it anyway. So I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh. But I'm curious, what is it about these types of people who walk into the room that makes you go them? I want to work with them. Is it something in your gut? Is it a common trait that you see within these people? Um, Because again, there's so many performers and people who are wanting this type of work who listen to the show. And I'd love for, I'd love for them to just get a peek behind the curtain. What are some things you look for? Well, all the examples that you gave, they were all singularly themselves. Mm. And, um, you know, this is because this is so subjective and it's not something somebody can necessarily take away or practice, but I will say they were all themselves. They had, they, you know, they were really working hard. I mean, literally, you know, like in terms of work ethic, I'm going to presume, um, because anybody who's got a sustained career is that they asked questions and took good advice from people that they could trust to listen to, to guide them. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, um, you know, 
getting the training, doing the work, trying different things. Um, it's to the point of like taking risks. They all pursued passions and interests. Cause you know, um, Chrissy, I could talk about all day. Cause it's like, you know, she's so famous now that it's easy to forget. It's like, she's, you know, a model, like she's coming from being inside a very specific world. And she starts to break out by being an early adopter to social media. And she was freaking hilarious on Twitter, which was the platform she really started on. And um, I remember she like this random post she wrote about like spending hours, um, you know, t- getting the knots out of a gold chain. And she's like, cause you know, she's like, see, that's the kind of girl I am, you know, really f- you focus. And I was like, okay, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And then on top of it, um, all three of them, by the way, here gets, you know, I'm glad you asked this. All three of them, um, strong point of view and, and very confident in sharing it in their own way. So again, Chrissy was funny and had, uh, and was not afraid to offend people and was extremely unique and had her own distinct voice. And so there's that Amy Schumer comes in very, very distinct voice. Like, you know, a woman in comedy, um, I mean, she was just freaking hilarious. And I, and I, you know, and by the way, then my job as a casting director is to explain to my clients why this is helpful and important to their project. And so the same thing, um, you know, with Wayne Brady, cause he was like hell, funny, yeah. but these were, you know, these were music themed shows by the way. And so it's like, they all had a love of music. It was like, you know, and you don't see that every day. And also, um, like Wayne deep knowledge and, you know, and again, and then also, you know, for all of Chrissy's outrageousness that was outward facing, total professionalism. And so by the way, and I bring that up, I never worked um, with Snooki from Jersey Shore, but I always bring this up as an example. It's like, she wouldn't be where she is and have a sustained career, whatever the episode, if she was not professional, meaning showing up on time, prepared. I think of um, Billy Eichner, who I'm a huge fan of, and I used to bring in him early in his career. Nobody knew what to do with him because he was just so wildly original and ahead of the curve that it was like, he was like 10 years too soon. But now he has a massive career as like an actor, you know, producer, director. Um, but so, but the same thing is like, you know, he had his Billy on the street character who completely took a format man on the street and made it his own. And it was incredibly outrageous. And for anybody who doesn't know that he would go up to people and, you know, ask questions on the street and then he would insult people. And it was really, really funny doing it. But the thing is like, he didn't come into meetings and insult the executives. You know, he understood I'm playing a character and I'm doing this and this is the value of it. And, um, and he, you know, kept at it, but he'd come into a meeting and he was professional yeah. and prepared and doing what you have to do. So, um, and then there is the thing. It's like, I, you know, I, funny's funny. And if like an entertaining and I, you know, you look for that spark. Mm-hmm. And so I'd rather in my field, it's like, I'd rather you be technically imperfect and bring something that nobody else has because we can yeah. figure out we can figure out the technical. Oof. Thank you for sharing that. Really and truly. Thank you. That oh, was yeah. really so beautiful. And I think people needed to hear that today, really and truly. Um, I always ask two questions to every guest Ooh. who comes on the show. The first is how were you a perfectionist this week? Because we always hear from people, especially in the personal development, self-help world, you know, you have to be this type of way. You have to wake up at four. You have to da-da-da-da-da-da. And I got so tired of them 
perceiving like they were just like the perfect little personal development student. And I was like, I need to know how you were a mess. <laughs> like, So how are you a mess this week, Barbara? Oh my gosh. Well, okay. First of all, I love that so much because my heart used to break, um, you know, going to chat sometimes about people who were doing all sorts of systems <laughs> and blaming themselves when the, the, cause it's like, I can't get up at four o'clock in the morning and I can't do this, that, or the other. And I, and I didn't feel it was professional to me to go in and criticize, you know, somebody's system on a Facebook group, but my heart was breaking. Cause I wanted to be like, it's not you. It's that's not the right system for yes. you. Personal development is personal. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's not you. It's okay. It's like, you, you, uh. um, and so to your point, it, um, you know, really trying to like a state of grace, um, is that, yes. Yeah, so I do, very similar to you. And I love that you talked about this on my podcast. It's like, you know, I wake up every day. It's like, you know, what's going to move me forward. What are my incremental goals this week? And my thing is like giving myself grace for it's like, you know, ha- okay. Some of the stuff got done. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But that would all. be it, but not all <laughs> of it. Yeah. Oh, Thank you. Yes. I love that. I love that so much. My second question for you is what is a goal, big or small, does not matter, that you are either in the process of achieving or have recently achieved that we get to celebrate with you? Oh, thank you. Well, I'm going to put this out to the universe um, and I can't really say that much about it, but okay. I have been, cause this is like a big dream, big goal feeds my soul. Um, my one of my besties and my writing partner and I have been uh, working on a project for three over three years. We started in July 2020 during the pandemic, and um, it, we got incredible news. <laughs> yes, That's congratulations! We got we got we got incredible news that signifies the the moving forward. In a, in a significant way. And so it is a joyous, joyous thing. I can't even oh, tell you. It's hard for I me. Like I haven't celebrated. even processed it yet. You know what I mean? Cause it's just like, oh. I hope you celebrated your face off for this. That's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. We, we ate candy bars together. That was it. You know, I'll, I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that. Depends yeah, on had, which we, candy bar, you know, we had hugs and candy bars. I know we, ate, we, it was kind of like, uh, 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 what I was to say, a uh, uh, potpourri, a mixture, a melange, <laughs> yeah. a variety a would have been the simple word. Like, but, yeah. Thank you. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Yeah. But it's just like, I went into a bodega and I was just grabbing stuff off the, like, oh, okay. That looks good. Oh, I haven't seen one of those in years. Let's try one of those. And we just threw them on a bed and we just started opening them. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you are amazing. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Last question is where can people find you? throw all the, all the things at them. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for asking. So first and foremost, I'm so super easy to find everywhere. So if you just remember my name, Barbara Abel or Barbara Barna Abel and Google that I come up all, all over the place. My website is Abel Intermedia, A-B-E-L, like Abel in the Bible. I always have to remind people. Um, um, AbelIntermedia.com. My podcast is there. My contact information is there. And then uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. I'm still officially on X, formerly known as Twitter, but not so much. <laughs> I 
It's so hard to think about it. Like, okay, yes, it's X now, not Twitter. And then Threads was a thing for like the hottest of seconds. Oh, for a weekend, I, and then it bummed me out. It and really then, did. And, and I miss. I actually missed Twitter because I was an early adopter, and I used to love Twitter parties. And to this day, I still feel like it is the best place to get breaking news in real time. Oh, interesting. And and yeah, and I have an amazingly curated. I don't even know if people know you can make lists. There's so many great things that got destroyed, and um, and I only bring that up because I'm putting it out to the universe and smart people who listen to your podcast, I would love some awesome person to come around and innovate a platform that creates, um, allows for that exchange of information in real time. My God, that would be amazing. Okay, listeners, you have a task. Go go do it. There you go. By the way, and just to finish, it doesn't have to be perfect. No. It just has to work and be inclusive and welcoming and safe super super <laughs> imperfect success right there barbara you're amazing thank you thank you thank you, you for are being amazing. on the show today oh, a million thank yous i cherish you thank you for listening to camera ready and able if you're interested in one-on-one training for you or your team please shoot me a note and please be sure to visit ableintermedia.com and download my free ebook 12 tips for success on camera and as always hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review if you haven't already mm-hmm.